0: Hey there, welcome to Night School. Good morning. And this is going to be another installment in what's become an ongoing series about destruction of the empty spaces. And a good way of thinking of that that idea of destroying empty spaces is with an analog four-track, where you have four tracks available, and each one of those tracks represents emptiness which is possibility. You know, we have a tendency to think of emptiness as the absence of something that was there or could be there. But, you know, that's just possibility. It's not even necessarily an absence. It's also simply the idea of possibility. You can possibly fill this space with something. You can do something with this space. It's like going into an empty house where you think, okay, this house is empty. I sure could, I could put a lot of chairs in here. Oh, look at this empty room. Look at all the chairs I could fit in. You can think of it that way. And somebody else could think, oh, I could fit a lot of tables in here. Somebody else says, uh, I wouldn't fill this room with anything. I, I like to sit on the floor. You know, it it really depends on what you think, but most people are going to go into an empty room of a house and think, I sure could do something with this. I could put some things in here. And it's the same thing with, you know, a recording device with a multi-track, where if those tracks are available, you're going to think, I'm going to do something with those. And in some cases, it's obvious what you would do. If you're recording a band, there are certain instruments you want to fit. Even if you're doing experimental music, electronic music, you're going to think about additional layers. Very few people are going to look at a four-track and think, everything I want to do with this thing, I can do with one track. <laughs> everything I want to do with this thing, I can do with one track. You know, Very few people are going to look at it that way. They're going to think about how they can use every track... On that four track. And with a four track you probably will. You know in most cases. Depending on the sort of music you're playing. Chances are you are going to need. All four of those tracks. Not that you always do. But chances are that you will. Um, but then when you get into. A, expanding the number of tracks. Like let's say you buy an eight track. You know it It doubles. And whereas before, when you were recording with a four-track, you might have been thinking, if I only had that one extra track, if I could only get a five-track, which would be cool. It'd be cool if you could upgrade your multi-track recording device in increments of one. Like, yeah, you know, I'm just, this this four-track is way too limiting for me. So I went down to the music store and I got a five-track. Uh, I've had this for si- I've had this 5 track for 6 months and you know, I'm just thinking I need a 6th track. Although I have seen 6 tracks before. I've seen devices that had 6 uh 6 sliders on them. I have seen that although they're not as common. Usually it goes from 4 to 8, but it would be cool if you could upgrade in increments of 1. Just get what you need. It's like a <laughs> You can only record what you absolutely need at any given time, and then you have to upgrade. But when you get an eight track, let's say you go from a four track to an eight track, even if you were thinking before, man, I wish, I, I, you know, I wish I, I had a fifth track. I wish, a Santa, hey Santi, uh, f- this year for Christmas, Daddy wants a fifth track to record onto. Uh, you know, even if it's just a fifth track you've been wanting all the time, now that you have an eight track, you're going to see these three other empty spaces and think, I have to destroy those. I have to destroy those empty spaces with something. And you might very well come up with great ideas. You might decide that you're going to... The music you start deciding to compose... It might gain complexity because you're now thinking with those extra tracks in mind. It might actually help your creative process to know that you now have more options when it comes to recording your ideas. You know, it can be great. I mean, at no point during this do I want to be like, you shouldn't have more options. You know, at no point do I want to come across like I'm saying that, but it is interesting how... Here, this empty space existed before you had eight tracks. There was always an empty space to what you did, even though you maxed out the four track, even though you filled every track in the four track up. You know there was still this empty space because you knew that there were other things that you could potentially add, and in your mind at that time, there was one empty space, a fifth track that you couldn't use. You you couldn't. Uh, record onto because it didn't exist on your four track but then now that you have an eight track there's no longer this one empty space that's in your mind you now now have four and even if your intention was only to fill one of those up there's a part of you that's going to think well why let those tracks go to waste why let the sixth seventh and eighth tracks go to waste why don't I use them yeah you know what these vocals could use a little uh background vocal they could use a little a little bit of that or we could use a little more keyboards you know what yeah we could use another layer of keyboards we could use just like we, we we could just you know turn the mic on and uh stick it out the window to give it some uh metropolitan ambience i like when I listen to music, I like to feel like I'm walking around in a in a city. So we could have the sound of cars driving by and uh, the mailman uh, dropping off the mail. You know, we could have all those sounds, too, because we got a track for it. We got to use this track somehow. And you start to get into that mindset where it's like, well, there's this empty track. I might as well use it for something. And that can be a pitfall for some people. You know, when people get into that mindset that I have to use this now. That can easily take someone's creativity down a notch because they're no longer focused on they're no they're no longer trying to represent this this idea that came from within they're now just trying to decorate it and decoration can be wonderful it's like I'm not saying you shouldn't add more to something but it just it can be a, a trap for people I I think where they suddenly have more options available and they feel they have to use them it's like somebody who has more gear for that matter Like, you could put me in a guitar center and tell me to record something and I would have no idea where to even start. You know, I would have no idea what to even do because there'd be so many different places to start and things to do. And I've never been someone who's had that much gear. But at the same time, it can be difficult to even know where to start with what you have, even within your own current limitations. So the idea of... You know, having more isn't always what's best. And I think many people learn that. It's like if you had every color available to you. Like, let's say you had a glob of every color in the rainbow on a palette that you're holding. There's going to be a temptation to use all of them. If you have every color on your paint palette, you're going to have some desire to give each color a little touch. Even if you don't need it, even if what you're painting doesn't require that shade of yellow, because that shade of yellow is there and available, you might be like, well, I could just put a little bit right here. And that could be great. You could end up with something that's, you know, that transcends that, that transcends whatever it was you were working on by adding those extra colors in. But it could just be a bunch of unnecessary bullshit. It could be a totally unnecessary exercise. And I'm running into an issue myself with drawing where I used to be more than comfortable not filling in the background. I used to make a lot more drawings that would have either a figure or an object and there'd be a bunch of white space. You know, I didn't feel the need to draw in a background or fill in the background for everything I did. And at some point I started doing that And while sometimes it's the right decision and it comes out great, it comes out the way I want it, it also takes a lot longer. It's not very satisfying or rewarding. Again, sometimes I feel that it's necessary. I'm glad that I do it. But there are many times where I just think like, why did I suddenly decide I had to do this every single time I draw something? And I mean, I think the same logic applies to like, why do I have to use every color that's available to me? Why do I have to record something onto every track of the 8-track? Or if we're talking digital technology now, I have an infinite number of tracks I can record onto. And I don't think it's a coincidence that new music suffers for that. You know, because sometimes when I hear new music, it's not just me being an old man, but I'll hear just the production of new music, and to me it just sounds thin. And not thin as in quiet, because it's very loud and it's very forceful. It's compressed in such a way that it is loud and forceful. But it sounds very thin to me, and that's one of the byproducts of having too many tracks on a recording, is that each track then becomes thinner. If you've ever recorded just a solid sound into one track of a multi-track, it's incredibly loud and incredibly forceful. I keep using those words, loud and forceful. But it is, it's it's very distinct, and it fills up the entire, you know, it, it fills up the entire spectrum, you know, it's a, you can hear everything. But then if you add in another sound, you notice that that first sound is a little bit diminished. And that's one of the great things about recording, that's one of the great things about music, is that the way sounds interact creates another sound almost in between them like before I knew how music was played I used to hear all kinds of things in the music that weren't there and what I was hearing was the interaction of the frequencies of the different instruments or layers they interact to create other sounds in the mix it's that sort of magic it's that sort of alchemy of music but uh You also have to keep that in mind that the sounds are going to not only impact what you hear in terms of the way frequencies mesh together, but they're also going to impact the strength of each individual sound, and uh, that's just something to consider is that it becomes thinner, but you can create this expectation that now that I have this option available to record to eight tracks, that I have to record to eight tracks, I have to come up with something to fill that space with, and we see it with graffiti, or as I call it, vandalism, Uh, but we see it with graffiti, where when someone decides that they are the type of kid who goes around with a spray can everywhere, they start to see every space as a potential platform for their vandalism. And uh, I don't like any graffiti personally. I understand the art. You know, I love it when old people try to sound cool, and they're like, "Did you know uh, graffiti's an art form? Do you know that uh, hi- this this thing called hip hop culture and graffiti's an art form as part of hip hop culture? Oh, did you know rap is music? Did you know that rap is actually a form of music? You know, sometimes you will hear old people kind of." try to stay relevant and say things like that. And it's like, of course, that's all true. Of course, there's graffiti that is worlds beyond anything I could ever do artistically in terms of skill. But I don't even like good graffiti. I don't like that aesthetic. I don't like going to a place and seeing even good graffiti. And not that I feel that people shouldn't do it. Not that I feel that I should be the tyrant who stops them. But I don't care what kind of graffiti I see. It's just not an aesthetic I like. And every once in a while it does look good. Like, I think graffiti looks good in a bad guy hideout. Like, if if a bunch of bad guys have a headquarters in a garage somewhere, a gang, I think it's cool if they have graffiti on the walls. You know, I think certain alleyways... You know, there's a grittiness, there's something impressive. You know, when you see footage of, you know, New York subways in the 80s when they were crime-ridden, it makes sense to see a bunch of graffiti down there. There's some places where graffiti does make sense. But even if I see graffiti that is well done in terms of skill, I'm not drawn to it. And I'd rather have it not be there. Because I'm also a fan of natural urban decay. I like the way buildings look as they fall apart. If you've ever ever been to a factory, an abandoned factory, it's like going to a castle. It's like seeing an abandoned castle. And you'll, of course, find graffiti there. And it's like, would you want to go to an abandoned castle and find graffiti? Do you want to go to some abandoned European castle and have it covered in graffiti? No. And I feel the same way about abandoned metropolitan buildings. I feel the same way about fact abandoned factories. I'd rather see them decay as they are than have them covered in crap. Especially a bunch of colors. You know, like, oh, we, this needs a big yellow uh, bubble letter. Oh, you know, this, this needs that guy. You know, we need that guy Nugs to come spray paint his tag name here. Oh, yeah, he's an artist. Is, he goes by the name Nugs. And he spray paints his name on everything. You'll go to a rest stop on the highway and you'll see that Nuggs wrote his name on the urinal there. Oh, you found some abandoned rural bridge down at the county in the the uh on the county line. Oh, Nuggs spray painted his name there too. You'll see that. You'll see the same people's names over and over again, and those people see empty tracks. Like, those people see the world as an 8-track, and they see empty spaces as an empty track that they need to record onto. And it it does bother me. You know, I, I don't get angry about it, but it does bother me that we live in such a graffiti-covered world now. You know, I was in the woods by the school recently, and people are spray-painting trees in there now, a bunch of trees and it's like, that's what happens when you spray paint everything else, is you start spray painting trees. There's that cliche saying, I don't know who the source is, but it's, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And it's the same thing. If you're a graffiti artist, every single surface looks like something that you want to spray. Excuse me, if you're a vandal, everything looks like a, a surface that you want to cover with, your, with the name Nugs. You want to write Nugs on that. Um, it's true that they start to see every surface. And then when you run out of other surfaces, guess what? It's a tree. And that's why they're not that much different from litterers. That's why when I see graffiti, it gives me the same feeling I get when I see litter and like, yeah, obviously littering doesn't have some sort of artistic component. Like you don't see litterers and think like, oh, well that one is talented at least. You know with graffiti, yeah, you will see graffiti where you're like, "Well, that person is talented." But for the most part, I don't see it that much differently. You know, and I wish that we great I wish that we evaluated litterers based on their talent. But one thing that I graffiti and litter have in common is I believe they often come from people who already see the world as ugly. And I've said this on here about litterers before, where people who are littering, they don't look at the world and say, oh, hey, look, it's a beautiful world, I'm going to throw my garbage on the ground and make it ugly. They think, this world is already ugly, so I'm just going to make it more ugly and throw my shit wherever I want. That's how they see the world. People who see the world as beautiful don't have a desire to litter. And if you've ever caught somebody in the act, if you've seen the look on their face when they litter, it is either callously indifferent or it is a look of hate. And I know that sounds extreme, but I saw this guy litter at a strip mall about two or three years ago. He's probably my age. And he was getting in his car and I saw him just throw his fast food bag or cup just right onto the ground in front of him, and I stared him down. You know, I don't know why I did, and he stared back at me, but what got me is the look on his face. There was so much disgust and hatred on his face when he threw that bag. Like He was doing that to make a statement, and he, he might not even have known that, but he was doing that to make a statement of protest against just the world around him. And I've seen other people litter before, like they've thrown things out of their cars, and those people are more just, those Those people tend to think like, oh, oh you know, you expect me to keep this garbage in the car with me? There's a whole world out there without any garbage on it. But again, it comes from a place of seeing the world as ugly, therefore adding more ugliness to it doesn't matter. And I believe it's the same with a lot of this graffiti you see, especially the graffiti that's less talented. Not that I really make that much of a distinction, because I just don't like the aesthetic period of graffiti in just about any place. But you'll see you know, graffiti in places, and it's just, it's not well done. It's just this scrawled name. You know, something people have gotten into around here is they have some sort of white paint pen. I don't think it's a white-out pen. It's some sort of white paint pen, and they'll just write their name in that. They'll write whatever goofy name, tag name they have in that. Like, dishes. Someone will write their name dishes in this white paint pen on every surface they can find. And it becomes a little game for them, too, obviously. It's like, how many places can I, can I write my name? Uh, you know, it's, it's like a pale imitation of a dog pissing, is what it is. You know, because I don't think they even know why they're doing it. A dog knows why it's pissing. You know, a dog is marking its territory. It's expressing itself. But the difference is, too, is that dog piss washes away. You know, spray-painting trees? That's the slippery slope of this stuff. Because you could, there's, oh, but I know so many graph artists who would never spray paint a tree. Of course you do. Of course, most of them don't. But there are some who, when they run out of other surfaces or they see a tree, they see an empty space that needs to get destroyed. And now the entire city is covered in it. I was watching a public access show from the early 90s that took place here in Olympia, and it had these teenagers just going from spot to spot. So you got to see some different places in the city here long before I lived here. But they were recognizable, like I knew where they were. And I was amazed at the lack of graffiti. And this is where I do become an old man, where it's like I, I, I was just amazed at the lack of graffiti. I was, though. I was genuinely amazed at the lack of graffiti and what has led to the massive increase in it. Why do we have so much graffiti in this town all over now? And I mean, part of that is so-called hip-hop culture. You know, part of that is multiple generations of kids now have grown up with that sort of aesthetic being popular. And then also, it again gets back to the idea of kids' desire to have street credibility. Like the kids I knew in junior high who were into graffiti and that kind of thing, the vandals I knew back then they were trying to prove something. They were trying to prove that, first of all, they're breaking the law in a fairly soft way. But it's like they wanted to communicate that they had some kind of street credibility, too. Um, it's, it's the same reason why kids become punks or they start acting like gangsters. You know, it's the same reason. And, and it's not a surprise that both of those people spray paint. You know, when you think about kids who become, uh, they discover anarchy at age 14. And so what do they do? They spray paint anarchist bullshit. People get into hip-hop and rap. They want to be little gangsters. What do they do? They spray paint a bunch of bullshit. It's funny how that desire to spray paint things, to mark things, kind of goes along with teenage rebellion in every form it takes, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it comes from a place, though, of seeing, like, not, because, I mean, like, those kids who spray-painted the trees, yeah, I know they're an exception, but still, like, they didn't see those trees and think that those trees are perfect as they are. There is no empty space where those trees stand. There perfect, they are beautiful and I mean, I will call a few things in this world perfect but I'll say if there's one thing that could be called perfect in this world it's trees and the idea that somebody saw those as an empty canvas, not even an empty canvas but an empty wall because they they didn't even try to do anything artistic on it, they just wrote something, they just wrote in just normal letters something you know their tag name or some other crap but it wouldn't have made a difference because if somebody had painted some beautiful graffiti art something that a a city would pay them to put on a wall you know even if that was on a tree it would be just as bad maybe worse in some ways because that's something I want to get to is like the people who do very well done graffiti people who are very talented at it they almost feel like they're giving the world a gift. You know, the person who just writes some like scratchy tag name just for the sake of doing it, at least they're not, at least they don't believe that they're offering the world a gift. They're just like, I want to put my name on that. I want to, I want to put my name on that. You know, their thinking is limited to that. But the person who does something very big and impressive, they're almost like a musician who forces you to listen to their music. Like if you've ever had that friend who, you know, is starting to learn to play acoustic guitar, and they're like, "I'm gonna give you a gift for your birthday. I'm gonna play you a song." You know, it's like that sort of idea. It's like Melkor. You know, it's the, it's the person who's bringing attention onto themselves. It's the pers- It's the narcissism of being a creative person. You know, when I say Melkor. If you missed that round of episodes probably a year ago, I was talking about how in the Silmarillion, which is you know Tolkien's creation myth for Middle-earth, there's the demigod Melkor, and all the demigods play music together, and they're in harmony, and Melkor begins playing his own thing, and he becomes very self-centered and narcissistic, and that's essentially what creates evil in the Middle-earth universe, is this one musician among the demigods basically making himself stand out falling out of harmony becoming the center of attention and in some weird way all musicians do that not everybody of course but there's something about especially people who are early in on that process they will want to accost you with music And it's not just the music they play. It's also something where we subject other people to it constantly. And music just has that strange effect where if you love music, it is both the thing you love the most and the thing you hate the most. And to be exposed to something you don't like makes you want it to be turned off immediately. Like You want it off now. You know, if you're watching a bad movie... Like, this is the big difference between music fans and movie fans, and of course there's crossover. But in my experience, if you're a big movie fan and you're watching a movie you don't like, it might be a waste of time, but you also might be able to find something funny about it. You might find some excuse just wanting to see it end, maybe. You know, very rarely are you watching a movie and you just think, I'm going to turn this off now. It's so bad that I'm going to turn it off now. You know, very rarely does that happen. But with music, you want it off immediately. Like if you're just browsing music, if you're online checking out new music, if you put something on and you just know you don't like it, you stop listening to it that second. And that's how you feel when somebody else is playing you music you don't like. Like if you've ever been in a friend's car and they put in a CD and it's, uh, I don't know what. I don't know what. Uh you you want them to turn it off. You don't think, "Oh, this is my friend's car and we're listening to his music and that's fine." You know, if it's something you truly can't stand, you can't stand it even in the short term. You want it to be turned off. Music does that to us. And uh with with that though, you know, it's the, it's the same exact thing when somebody ex- like forces you to listen to their music. It's like a busker. And it's like, yeah, if you're if the only way that you can make a living is to play music on a street corner, if you are in desperate need of money and getting tipped by people, getting getting donations from people on the street, if that's the only way you can make money, I'm not going to take that away from somebody. But there's a lot of people who busk because they think they're adding some kind of atmosphere. It's like, oh, I, I just love going to the big city. There's a guy playing a violin on the street corner. Oh, and this guy's over here playing guitar. Oh, I just I love this atmosphere of this fucking buskers everywhere. You know, I, I just love it. You know, there's, there's some people who, who feel that way. Oh, I'm going to the big city. There's guys playing music on the street. And like I said, if those guys, if they need the money, I'm not going to take that away from them. But there is a certain mindset of people who are like, Guess what? I'm giving you a gift today. And it means playing music for you that you didn't ask for. And it's awful. It's awful how much we are subjected to music that we don't want to hear. And how those musicians feel like they're giving people a gift. Like if you've known people in bands, they'll be like... I have the gift for you today. You have the opportunity to come to my show. And it's just like, man, (laughs) Uh, I don't know, but I don't know who this gift is for. Sometimes it's nice to go see somebody perform. Sometimes it's nice to be a good friend, but there's other times where it's just like, man, like, you know, you think you're giving the world a gift. And that's sort of the same mindset as somebody who does very well done graffiti. It's like, oh, well, see, uh, it's not just vandalism because I'm very good at what I do. Yeah, but you did it on the side of a building that looked cool as it is. You know, these buildings, they don't need you. They're not empty spaces that you need to destroy. You know, you don't need to put that graffiti there. And then the city, of course, will play that game where they hire graffiti artists to cover a certain wall. And it's their way of seeming hip. It's like, oh, we might be a, a boring metropolitan bureaucracy but we sure know what the people like and that's a big wall of graffiti that we pay for and at least that's you know set up for that purpose although you know with graffiti people generally like the thrill of doing it in places you're not supposed to do it so it's sort of a lose-lose for everybody when the city's like we're young and hip and we have graffiti art we have paid graffiti art on the sides of our buildings. You know, sort of a lose-lose for everybody because then now the city has a big wall of graffiti art and then the graffiti artists don't even think it's cool because basically it was approved by the people you hate. <laughs> you know? Uh, so it's just kind of a catch-22, a lose-lose. But just that desire to fill the space, you know? It's just... it's. It's something we need to get away from. And I say that as somebody who fills a lot of spaces. Who destroys a lot of spaces. You know it's not like I think everybody should just live in a pod. Where they can't say anything or hear anything. Because part of life is destroying things. And what you destroy more than any other thing. Is empty space. And that's totally fine. Because it's what we have to do. As people who came into this world and as a result of our own individual existence destroyed an empty space. You know, we ourselves destroyed an empty space in order to exist. And we are continually destroying other empty spaces to have satisfaction and survival and all these other essential elements of our lives there are also opportunities to destroy things that we don't need to take and having the restraint not to do that you know, I I don't know that you can even train yourself you know, I guess maybe the the same sorts of discipline you would use toward everything else would work in this regard but it's like, let's say you have an 8-track in front of you and you really only need to use 5 of them or let's even say, maybe, let's make it even more tempting. Let's say you had to use seven of the eight tracks on, a, on an eight track. Now you have just this one empty one. Well, that's going to stand out. That's going to stick out. And you're going to think, well, you know, there's just one left. I might as well do something with it. But doing something with that last track might be the very thing that takes away everything else you've done, it might be distracting. It might be unnecessary. But still, having that empty track will make you at least consider... You'll, you're will you going to spend some time considering whether or not you should or could use it. And you very well might use it, regardless of whether you should or could. It's, you know, having the restraint to walk by an empty space and not need to write something on it. To not need to carve something. You know, oh, I... I Look at there's a little space of wall there. I better write nugs on it. Oh, what did your great grandfather do? Oh, he just wandered around the city spray painting nugs on every space. Oh, he must have been cool. He must have been cool. No, you know, it's it, having the restraint to not do that. having the restraint not to say something in an empty room just to say something. Because some people are uncomfortable with that, and that's the same... It's a variation of this same thing, where if you're in a room with people and there's a natural quiet, that makes some people very uncomfortable. You now, yeah, there can be an oppressive silence that doesn't need to happen. But sometimes there's just, you know, the ebb and flow of some of, of life leads to silences, and some people cannot handle that, so they need to fill that empty space with talking. And good people do this. Wonderful people do this. I totally understand why silence is uncomfortable for some people. Because it's not just that they have to listen to themselves. They have to listen to themselves think about why it's silent. And why other people are being silent. That's one of the reasons why people are so uncomfortable in a silent room. It's not just because they have to deal with their own thoughts. It's that their own thoughts are concerned with those other people's thoughts. And by breaking the silence, you get those people to hopefully talk. But the person who breaks the silence sometimes doesn't get what they want either. The person who does break that silence in a quiet room will sometimes get no response. You know, and so it's in that effect, you know, it's sort of a failure. You tried to destroy this empty space, but the empty space destroyed you. And that's kind of what happens when, let's say, you are like, you know what? I've got all these colors available and this blank canvas, so I might as well do something that uses every single color. In a way, that's also the empty space destroying you. Because you thought that you were going to fill that space with something you liked, but you ended up filling it with something unnecessary that maybe you don't even like, (laughs) you know? Uh, Same thing with the 8-track. It's like, oh, there's an empty space on this 8-track. I better use it or I'm going to lose it. I better use this empty... If I don't use this empty eighth track on the multi-tracker, I'm going to lose it forever. And then you add something and it's it makes the whole recording stupid. Oh, I'm going to add a background vocal. I'm going to add a background vocal. Ends up being something awful that distracts everybody when they listen to it. <laughs> you know, the empty space destroys you in that situation. So, And I think that's what I was getting at here all along. You know, in the roundabout way. You know, as much as I think about this in terms of like when you express something, when you do something, when you even make a decision to do something, you're destroying an empty space. But sometimes it's actually the empty space destroying you. Somehow it's you who ends up taking the the loss, I guess, when your desire is to actually fill something, complete something. It ends up being more empty in a way. And just learning that restraint. I mean, it's something I don't really deal well with. Where if, if I have an opportunity to do something, often I will. And, you know, of course, doing a show like this, it's a destruction of many empty spaces. And, uh, you know, I try not to destroy everything, though. Because sometimes I will get an idea or something will happen in my life. And I'll think, oh, I should do an episode about this. I should do an episode about this. You know, I'll think that. Because I know that this channel exists. I mean, the fact that I started doing a podcast many years ago created a slot in my mind. And now things fit in that slot in the form of, Oh, Hey, it's an idea for a podcast, or I should talk about this on my podcast. It's like having that empty track on an eight track. It's like having a blank slate, you know, before I started doing this show. Yeah. Maybe I would have talked to friends about some of these things. A lot of these things I never would have said to anybody. Uh, This whole thing probably never would have taken shape at all in my brain. Honestly, um, But as soon as I started doing these, I became aware of the fact that I can now use things from my life, from my past, from my random thoughts to talk. And I don't see this show as the emptiness destroying me. Like, I might be destroying an empty space by doing this show, but I don't really feel that the emptiness ever destroys me. I think sometimes maybe I do too many of these. Sometimes maybe I say too much or I say the wrong thing. All those normal things that come along with self-expression. But I don't feel that this show really takes too big of a bite out of me when I do it. But I'm aware of it. You know, I'm aware, like, I will hold back. Like, last week a guy horribly tailgated me. A guy abused me in traffic. He was just completely out of his mind, and I won't go into it here. But I had the thought right after it happened where I was like, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this on my podcast. You know, I did have that thought, and I decided not to. You know, obviously I'm mentioning it now. But at the time, I had this, this philosophical take on tailgaters. Just just like I have a, a take on vandalism, or as you call it, graffiti, Just like I have this philosophical take on litterers. Believe it or not, I got a take on tailgaters too. You know, I do though. And uh, I had this initial compulsion to be like, I got to go home and talk about this. I got to go home and talk about that tailgater. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't need to do that. This doesn't need to be a diary. Actually, I make efforts to not make this show too much of a diary. I don't tend to talk too much about current events in my life and that sort of thing. Um, But, uh, you know, this doesn't need to be a show that I do based on every little whim I get because it's already pretty whimsical, right? Uh, But anyway, just you got to learn to have that restraint and be like, I'm not going to do this every time I can. Because just because I can doesn't mean I should. And you don't want to get stuck in a place where you're never doing anything. Because we need to destroy empty spaces to live. In the same way we need to eat other things that were once living. We have to destroy empty spaces. And uh, and not not see it as a crime necessarily, even though it is a crime. As Black Sabbath said, you know, destruction of the empty spaces is my one and only crime... And I, I don't think you can forget that it's a crime, but it's a necessary crime. And when something is a necessary crime, you should be very deliberate about it. And just because the option is available doesn't mean you should do something. And maybe you can reach a point in your life where you don't even have to consider it you don't have to consider whether what you, maybe you can be so locked in to the right path that you don't have to consider any of this stuff this last where children